journalist once wrote, if you want my final opinion on the mystery of life and all that, I can give it to you in a nutshell. The universe is like a safe to which there is a combination, but the combination is locked up in the safe. Well, Genesis claims to give us that combination. Chapter 1, which we looked at last week, uh, showed us that God made everything. And there are all sorts of things uh, that um, flow from that truth, that God made everything. Everything is from him and for him. Everything finds its meaning and purpose in him. Those things have to be true if God made everything. And there is, therefore, one big difference in everything that exists, one big distinction, and that is between the creator and creatures. And, of course, we human beings are among the creatures and not the creator. But in creation, we find, amongst the creatures, we find human beings have a very special place. So let me reread for us. Um, from last week, just just a bit um, above where where we we were, chapter 1, verse 28 on page 4. God blessed them... Oh, sorry, from verse 26, actually, sorry. Uh, So back over the page. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So... God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So that's... God's creation of human beings and and the big headline for, for what human beings... Uh, are to to be and to do. So last week we got the the big kind of um, panoramic picture of God creating everything, heavens and earth. And this week we zoom in. You can actually see that uh, in in the first verse that Ian read for us. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they are created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. The order is reversed there for the first time. It's a phrase that's used again and again. The first time it's reversed. We zoom in on the earth. And we get a sense of the, the, the chaos and the purposelessness of the earth without humanity. Verse 5. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth. There was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered, or perhaps better, flooded the whole surface of the ground. A kind of aimless, purposeless chaos And then the turning point comes with God's intervention in verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So our topic for today is all about what it means to be a human being. Particularly, we're going to see the blessings and the boundaries of being made in God's image. Now, blessing is a word that means enjoying God's kindness, generosity to us. And this chapter, I don't know if you felt it as Ian read read to us, but it's chock full of God's generosity uh, to humanity. But it comes with boundaries. 
That's why those two trees are right in the middle of the garden. We'll come back to those. But we see the blessings and the boundaries of being made in God's image in two things in particular. How we reflect God in work and how we reflect God in relationship. So first, uh, we reflect God in the world by working like God. Uh, Part of the reason that that there is desolation in verses 5 and 6 is that there's no, no human to work the earth. The earth needed the human for fruitfulness just as a human needed the earth for work to do so that each of them could fulfill God's purpose for them. And um, as God creates humanity, we zoom in further from the world at large to a garden, someplace in Eden. It's the garden in Eden, really, not the garden of Eden. A garden somewhere in a place called Eden, verse 8, the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he'd formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye, good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there is separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah where there's gold. The gold of the land is good. Aromatic resonant onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs on the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Work is what God gives to to humanity. Um, And it's a good thing. And it's a necessary thing. Uh, for God's purposes for the world. Perhaps you've heard the story of, um, of the vicar who was uh, walking around his parish and um, he saw a, a, a beautiful garden, a, a really well-tended garden, and in it, um, an elderly gardener. And he said to the elderly gardener um, uh, various things, you know, very holy comments about um, uh, how um, God makes such beautiful things and causes the plants to grow, and isn't, isn't it wonderful? And as he went on his way, the elderly gardener muttered to himself, you should have seen what it was like when God had it to himself. (laughs) You see, the, the, the world was meant to be brought to fruitfulness by the activities of humanity. That was God's way of bringing an order and fullness to the world. It isn't chance as we develop the The world. It's the plan, right from the word go. And notice that that world that's hinted at beyond the garden, verses 10 to 14, uh, those those four different rivers going all different places, opportunities for exploration and excavation and uh, cultural um, development and, and discovery. This is good stuff. But, but focus particularly on verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. A work is there before anything goes wrong in the world. It is part of God's very good world. And we, we need to understand the meaning of our work, whether that's paid employment or raising children or caring for others or um, uh, if you're a child, learning and helping uh, your parents and, and, and so on. 
We've all got work to do. And if we're going to understand the point of what we spend our days doing, we need to remember that God is the one who provided us with work to do. And in particular, he did that so that we could reflect the God who works, uh, described in chapter 1. Remember, uh, the verse um, with which chapter 1 ended, chapter 1, verse 31, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. When God pronounces his work good, there's no separation in his mind between kind of uh, economic good and moral good. Uh, There's not a kind of physical goodness which is separate to a sort of spiritual goodness. It's all one integrated whole. It was pleasing to the eye. And it was good. Um, Remember, when we were thinking about uh, what it means for God to have created everything good, we talked about God creating to please himself. Uh, It pleased him. That's why he did it. It is made to to please God. Because it's in right relationship with him. The world created to to be right with God. And so for us and our work, that needs to be the objective too. That our work would be pleasing to God. In right relationship with him. The work that we do on this earth, matters a great deal. It matters that God can look at what we do, what we've done, and pronounce it very good, just as he looked at what he did and called it very good. There's no room in the Bible for um, uh, Sundays mattering to God, but but Monday to Friday not mattering to God at all. Uh, All of our work matters a great deal, and particularly God's verdict on our work. It's easy to just um, uh, plod through life uh, and not really think about what we're spending all our time doing and why we're doing it. But there are some moments, aren't there, when, when you think, what am I doing with myself? What am I doing with my life? There are some moments in life, you know, uh, I don't know, midlife crisis or something. You look at the end and think, when I get there, will I be pleased with how I've spent my life? What I've poured my time and my energy into? Now, this is an opportunity as we read Genesis 2 and read about why and how God created work for us to do that in a good way. To consider, to stop, pause, consider the answer to that question. How does God feel about the work that I'm doing? Will he say, that is very good? Because if the answer is no, we've got to ask ourselves why we're doing it. What are we seeking to achieve? Is it uh, money or status or success or something else? We're designed to work so that God will say, very good. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. 
Anything less than that objective will be less than fully human. Now, before um, we move on uh, to, to the second thing, uh, notice um, uh, what appears in the middle of the section about the work of humanity and what appears right in the middle of the garden. We might expect right in the middle of um, Adam and Eve's garden that God created for them, God to have put a, a nice, cosy cottage for them to live in. Uh, but it's not, is it? Verse 9. In the middle of the garden, there were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, now, those life and good and evil are talking about the destinies uh, of those trees. It's not that those trees are somehow magical, that the fruit has some sort of power that can um, transform the human beings. It's rather that there is a command attached to uh, the trees, which provides the opportunity for either discipleship, going with God, or disobedience, going against God. The Lord God, verse 16, commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you'll certainly die. For, For God and humanity to be in right relationship with each other it needs to be on his terms. Uh, we, um, uh, uh, we need to recognise that God is God and we are not. God must be the creator, man must be the creature. So around the, the blessing of work, the way we relate to the world around us and spend our time, is the boundary of obedience and service to God. Do you see? Blessings and boundaries. Uh, we must... A work within the, the, the limits that God sets. When we cross the boundary and disobey God's word, God promises that it will mean death. There's no life outside of the boundary that God's, God puts us in. Get back to that next week in chapter 3. So we find blessings and boundaries in our work as we reflect God in the way we go about our work. But the other key way we're given to reflect God... Uh, in this chapter, is by relating like God. You see, there's loads about relationship. Do you, do you notice the real surprise in verse 18? Uh, we had in chapter 1, again and again and again, God saw that it was good. God saw that it was, good. God saw that it was very good. And then verse 18, uh, we get the shock. Then, God said, then the Lord God said, it is not good. <gasps> there's something not good in what God has made. Well, what's not good? It is not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. You see, we're we're created for relationship. Now, I want to make something really, really clear. Please don't ignore this little bit. This Bible passage is not saying it's not good for a man to be single. It's saying it's not good for a man to be solitary. It's not good for a human being to be solitary. That does not mean marriage for every person. It means uh, we're designed for relationship not only with God, but with other human beings around us as well. Uh, Now, Adam doesn't, you'll notice, reply here, it's okay, God, I've got you. You're all I could ever want. We kind of feel like that might be the holy thing to say at this point. Uh, But he doesn't say that because that's not how God has designed him. We're actually designed to need relationships with other human beings 
on this earth, as well as a relationship with God. So I need to fight my tendency to withdraw from others. Some of us are extroverted, some of us are introverted, and so some of us will find it um, really easy to make lots of uh, 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 relatively shallow relationships with loads and loads of people. And some of us will find it more instinctive to make uh, deeper relationships with just a few people. But whatever our instincts or personalities, we need to take this seriously. We're designed to reflect God by being relational, actively pursuing meaningful relationships with other human beings. Love one another. The New Testament says it again and again. It's easy to to kind of forget this is such a big thing. It's the way we're made. So um, how does that work? God's God's created this one man, Adam. I wonder if um, uh, uh, you um, noticed the part where God was parading all the animals in in front of Adam in the quest for a helper. Um, I think it's meant to be a little bit funny. Uh, for us. Did, 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 did you notice that? So um, it, it's a bit like um, God brings in a giraffe. Is this a suitable helper? No, a giraffe is too tall. And what about a mouse? Oh, a mouse is too squeaky. What about a hedgehog? A hedgehog's too prickly and, and so on. You know, this, um, this parade of the animals until God says, all right, Adam, you're going to need some surgery. So um, here's the first operation under anaesthetic. And God takes his rib and, and creates someone like him and yet different from him. You might have heard Henry, uh, Matthew Henry's um, famous description of this verse. Uh, Eve was not taken out of Adam's head to top him, neither out of his feet to be trampled on by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected by him, and near his heart to be loved by him. It's odd, isn't it? <laughs> but, um, but, but nice. Uh, Now, what's described here is God's careful design of two uh, sexes, which are different and alike. Not symmetrical, but complementary. It's a great blessing, and it comes with boundaries. One thing it means is that um, maleness and femaleness are not uh, superficial things. They're not surface things. Let me just get a piece of wood. Here we go. Here is a piece of wood. And um, uh, here is um, here some metal. You can see this is metal. You see? Now, the wood and the metal are different things, aren't they? Um, let me get... Um, sorry, let me come here. Sorry, let me get um, here we go. Here are um, two books I've got. One is uh, blue and one is kind of purpley-pinky. Um, now... These differences of colour are pretty superficial. I could just paint it or colour it, and then they would be the same. Whereas this difference is fundamental, wood and metal. Even if I I coloured this wood to make it look like metal, it would not be metal. Do you see? And maleness and femaleness are part of how he created human beings to be. That's what Genesis 1 and 2 say. So whatever we look like, or whatever um, we, we, we do, maleness and females are part of who we are, who we're created to be. And that's one of the things uh, this uh, means. But notice what a great blessing Adam finds his new companion to be. He's so impressed that he sings the first ever love song. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. 
She shall be called Woe Man, for she was taken out of man. I don't know if that's how he said it. Um, that this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, this passage has an awful lot to say about marriage, about human marriage. Um, and, and this is where Jesus turns when he's asked questions by um, people um, uh, when he's walking on the earth. Uh, and we do well to, to meditate on it, so if we're married or considering marriage, um, how, it, how it shows us the, the, the way that marriage breaks the bonds of obedience um, that a, a child has to their parents as it creates a new family unit, how it shows us that, that, that in marriage, um, a, a man and a woman cleave together in an unbreakable, indissoluble bond, how marriage requires an exclusive physical relationship between those male and female. There's loads to think about there, and, and a lot more. But we don't have time for that now, so you can come and talk to me about it later. But for now, I just want us to see how this reflects God. Because here, woman, who was one with man before, she was taken out of man, is now joined to man again. One flesh. To quote a Spice Girl, two become one. And of course, the the wonderful thing we were reminded of last week is that God himself is three and one. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father loves the Son and the Holy Spirit, and vice versa. And so, in our relating to one another, humanity is designed to show off what God is like, to reflect what God is like in relating. So... Just as the world God made is good and very good, so love is good, and sex is good, and community is good. What a world God has made, and what a world God has given to us. What more could we want? Rule, responsibility, relationship, bearing the very image of God. God blesses us. Wonderfully, what more could we want? Well, as it turns out, as we'll see next week, freedom. Freedom from God and from the boundaries that he's set. Somehow we convinced ourselves in Adam that to live under a God like this would be unfair. So we broke free and we lost it all. We'll think loads about that next week. But for now, notice that the world is just not as it's described in Genesis 1 and 2. Perhaps you've been feeling that very strongly as, um, as we've dwelt on these chapters last week and this. We have a bizarre power to blow the world up many times over, but not to be able to prevent the deserts expanding, or the coasts retreating, or the ozone layer eroding. We have the capacity to feed the world many times over, But a third of the world's food is eaten by 1% of its population, while millions starve to death. We still bear the image of God, but it's somehow warped, out of shape. But there is one man who bore the image of God perfectly. What a beautiful life his was. There was a man who was really in command of this world. He could calm the storm with a word. He could 
heal the sick with a touch. He could direct a herd of pigs. He could order about a fig tree. He's the only man ever to rule and subdue the world, like God said. Yet with all that power, he remained responsible to God. He stuck to the boundaries God had set. Do you remember that other garden? If you know the Bible story, the Garden of Gethsemane. Kids, you might like to ask your uh, grown-ups how that's spelt, if you want to fill in your your questions. Because in the Garden of Gethsemane, it was God's will for Jesus to go to the cross. And Jesus sweat blood at the prospect of it. If it's possible, he said, may this cup be taken from me, yet not my will, but yours. So that God might say, Very good. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the exact representation of his being. So we ask, who will be a helper suitable for this man? Who will be the the bride of this Christ? One of the biggest surprises in the Bible is, the answer is us, or can be at least. The vision with which the Bible closes right at the end of the Bible is very similar with the image with which it opens. A vision of trees and rivers and a husband and his bride. The husband is Jesus and his bride is the church. The gathering of all the people who've put their trust in Jesus, who said to Jesus, I do. It's as we put our trust in Jesus that we are made like him, conformed to his image, to rule with him as a a suitable helper for eternity. That's the offer Jesus makes to us, to be brought back into paradise. If you want to hear more about that, uh, please come and talk to me afterwards. I'd love to help you think through how to take things further. There are some questions uh, to think about for all of us uh, on our sheets. God has made us to reflect him in the way we spend our days and our work and in the way we relate to others. So let me lead us in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, thank you that you have given humanity such glory. We do not now see things subjected to humanity, but we do see the one who rules as we hear the words of the Bible, we see the Lord Jesus crowned with glory and honour. And so, Heavenly Father, please make us more and more like him in the way we go about our days, in the way we seek to love other people. Please uh, help us to reflect your glory day by day. In Jesus' name, amen.